After 32 months, Restaurant Leadership Conference is returning to Arizona this December 6th through 9th. RLC has always been the home for senior restaurant execs to collaborate and discuss current challenges and solutions. Be a part of this exclusive group and register today at restaurantleadership.com. Will people eat enough salads to fuel sweet greens growth? Hello, this is Jonathan Mays, Editor-in-Chief of Restaurant Business, and in this week's episode of A Deeper Dive, I'm joined by our new Menu Trends columnist, Nancy Cruz. Nancy is well known for her discussions on menu trends and other issues affecting the restaurant industry and will start writing twice a month for RB beginning today. Her monthly column is called State of the Plate. She will also be writing a he-said-she-said type thing with Peter Romeo. I asked Nancy to be on my podcast because I was dying to understand the potential demand for salads. Sweetgreen, the fast casual salad chain, went public last month and has a valuation higher than many other established and growing restaurant chains many times its size. To warrant that valuation, it will need plenty of demand for salads. Nancy schools me a little bit on the topic and discusses the chain's real challenge, which is not actually demand. We spent a lot of time talking about the overall demand for healthful food and what sweet green will need to do if it is going to grow in middle America. It's a great discussion with Nancy, so please have a listen. Okay, I am here with Nancy Cruz. Nancy, welcome to the podcast. Thanks a million, Jonathan. It is my pleasure to be with you. All right, so uh, Nancy, let's start off. Uh, why don't you tell us, for the benefit of my listeners, tell us a little bit about yourself and your background. Well, I run my own company, um, smartly named The Cruise Company, so I can remember how to spell it, um, here in Atlanta. I'm a trends analyst. I focus on the menu, which I have done for some, gosh, over 20 years now. Um, I really assess what's happening and what the implications might be as we look forward uh, uh, down the, the course of menu development. So I like to tell people that I eat for a living and then talk about it or write about it. It's a wonderful job and uh, it keeps me busy and engaged. Sweet. So um, we, uh, so this is a finance podcast. Um okay talk about money, all the, well, money type topics, but my general rule on finance is everything is finance. And in the restaurant space, you know, everything sort of begins with the food, right? That's the whole point of it. Without the food, we don't have a business. And there've been some things that have happened, at least in my perspective of late, that really kind of raise the question of, sort of how companies are valued based on what they're serving. And so I am specifically talking about sweet green. Now I need to, before I ask you this question, I need to caveat this. I actually like it quite a bit. I like a lot of what sweet green does. Um, I do like the food, tend to think it's really good for what it is. Um, I like a lot of their operations, things like that. Technology, things of, 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 of that ilk. I guess my question to you, though, and this gets to the sort of fundamental point of sweet green, how much demand from your perspective is there for salads? Okay, well, good question. I see you sort of jump right in with both feet. And I Mm -hmm. guess I would respond to that from two points of view. 
I think there's a good deal of demand. Uh, last winter, Data Essential ran a seminar in which they said that more than two thirds of operators were offering salads at the time. This was when we were locked down, remember. Um, more operators were offering salads than were offering sandwiches, for example. I I'm fascinated by that because a salad is pretty much a no-brainer. I mean, in the sense that you don't have to heat up the stove, you're not dirtying pots and pans and so on. You can throw in whatever you've got on hand. Nonetheless, um, it was a real golden ticket for a lot of operators during the shutdown. So that's sort of one point of view on the demand piece. But you know, Jonathan, the other point of view on the demand piece that I think comes to bear when we're talking about sweet green is the fact that there are lots and lots and lots of operators who do a wonderful job with salads, right? You know, the quick backstory on the development of the entree salad, what really brought it out of a niche in California and gave it a national presence were the casual dining chains in the 1990s, mm -hmm. Fridays and Cheesecake Factory and so on. And they continue to do a brilliant job you can get great salads in fast food. You can get terrific salads in fast casual as well. Think Panera and La Madeleine and so on. So while there is plenty of demand, there's also, it seems to me, quite a bit of, of supply. And from my point of view, talking about sweet green, and I agree with you, uh, I like sweet green. I like their operation. I like the look of their store. I like the look of their product, all of that stuff. N nonetheless, they're really going into, it seems to me, competitive headwinds. Really? I want to go back to one of the first points you said, is that you're, you said that, that uh, there was heavy demand for mm -hmm. salads during the pandemic. Can you explain that? And why was this? Well, I, you know, in fact, I'm not sure that I can explain it. Um, I, I had mentioned to you, I th this is very, very interesting to me because a salad is something that doesn't demand a culinary degree to prepare at home in a, gosh, a reasonably um, attractive state. I suspect one of the drivers, though, given the tenor of the times may have been, of course, the um, the, the healthful image of the salad. And by the way, we're talking center of the plate salads right. here, right? Entree salads. Um, the, the, the healthfulness, um, because I think we were really trying to uh, be, be responsible and boost our immunity and all of that kind of thing. Um, and I think, frankly, the other driver of demand, because this is a pretty mature product at this point, um, is the creativity that the operators bring to bear. You know, I watch menus for a living and salads have become one of the most reliable carriers of new global flavors and ingredients in the business. So if I don't know, let's say, Moroccan cuisine, I'm introduced to it through the Harissa vinaigrette on offer, let's say, at, at, at the Cheesecake Factory. So the helpful piece, plus the new and slightly exotic global piece, I think combined to really, really give a major boost. Right, right. I think one of the issues that I wonder about salads, and this is just me speculating. Yeah, you know, I can cook a little, 
and salads are, and I make a few of them. I make a few salads oh. on my own at home. A lot of it, I can't really make all that easily in terms of like, I can't necessarily replicate a lot of the things that you can get at, certainly at, at, at a company like Sweetgreen, the, the dressings can be a little bit more complicated to me, I wonder, yes. uh, to make at home. You know, and if I'm going to replicate a center of the plate salad, then, you know, you know, a lot of that element you can't necessarily. And then the issue, the other issue I think I wonder is waste, right? Because like if I get a bunch of fresh vegetables, you know, hopefully can eat it soon enough. Um, But I can't necessarily do that. But then again, I don't know. I mean, you're getting more sophisticated bag salads in grocery stores and stuff like that. So Mm. I don't know. It's fascinating. I I hadn't really thought about uh, heavy salad sales during the pandemic, but maybe everybody was just worried about getting fat while they're sitting at home all the time and they wanted to have a salad. (laughs) Well, if that was the case, it didn't obviously work because what is it? They talk about the freshman 15 when you go to college and apparently there's the pandemic 15 or or 20. So maybe we weren't eating enough salads. But um, I I do agree with you, though. I think the notion of waste and leftover and not being able to consume um, gives a boost in the favor of a restaurant-made salad. Although, you know, this is interesting, Jonathan, since we're speculating here. One of the, it seems to me, downsides to a generously portioned entree salad is if you can't finish it in store Hmm. salads don't necessarily look so great the day after right the morning after the night before you can't like just reheat it you can't somehow zap it and make it all fresh and wonderful again but but certainly when we're talking about the, the restaurant main salad the ability to individualize i think comes into play here and, and, and that's certainly the case if you're ordering for more than one person because you might want the harissa vinaigrette and I want the miso vinaigrette and I want kale but you hate kale you only eat romaine so it's the what people refer to as the chipotle effect in fact no it's really the subway effect because chipotle mimics subway right first in with you you tell us what you want and we will make it specifically mm-hmm. to your order. Um, I think that that's a, a big driver here. You don't have to have a house full of greens uh, for six different tastes. You, you can simply get it by ordering it from the, the, the restaurant. Right. Right. So now you're, 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 so you're saying that salads are super prevalent on restaurant menus that and i guess that's a really good point even more prevalent than sandwiches which well well they were more prevalent on takeout menus during the pandemic i don't know that that's the case now as we're reopening and Mm -hmm. things are coming back on stream but again yeah uh, the the specific data point was that more than two thirds of operators who were serving lunch during the pandemic shutdown were offering salads, presumably takeout and delivery is what was what was the, the the distribution method there. And that was more than the number of restaurants who were offering salads, uh, sandwiches, excuse me. Wow. So so yeah, I mean I find that an extraordinary number, but I also find it a real testimony to the attractiveness, leaving all of the stuff aside about how we're in a pandemic and I want to eat well and all of that. I will only eat well 
if it's a darned attractive dish. And right. I, I think right. that's a real tribute to the creativity of the the operators, the salad makers, the R&D chefs. Salads have changed an awful lot, I yeah. think, Nancy, since is certainly when I was young, when basically a salad was iceberg lettuce and a couple of tomatoes. Yeah. And if yeah, yeah. You know, we had some yes. money, we would get uh, we would get cucumbers. Yes, yes. Yeah, you know, and and now there's these fancy grains. You got to put avocado and and multiple types of dressings instead of blue cheese, which is the only thing that we ever had in the house. I guess the other issue that I always had with sweet green, continuing on this point, is yeah, I I get, I get concerned that it's it's as too much of a lunch destination. Lunch is a challenge. Um, And to me, like, and if you're going to be super successful, you've got to be able to sell your food during multiple day parts. You can't really be a single, that's a sub, that's a problem that Subway has right now is it's generally perceived to be just a lunch chain and you can only do so much in one day part. You need a couple of them to be able to survive. Um, Is it, is, is, is that perception wrong? I bet you're going to tell me my perception is salad of salads as being just a lunch thing. Well, I'm sort of shaking my head a little bit. Um, A couple of things were crossing my mind as you were talking. First, I think that salads are viable options for both lunch and for lots of people for dinner as well. I don't think of them as strictly being lunch oriented. Um, And in fact, just as a quick aside to me, one of the great last frontiers will be the breakfast salad, which does exist in other parts of the world. I mean, to me, there's enormous upside opportunity if you know how to do it right. Um, but but um, the, the other thing that sort of crossed my mind is you were talking about the liability of being in a single day part is that from many points of view, the QSR segment is sort of built on a single day part, isn't it? I mean, we don't eat a lot of McDonald's at dinner time, and we don't run to Starbucks if I can put them in that category after you know four o'clock in the afternoon. And and pizza works the opposite way. I mean, for years their bugaboo has been trying to generate lunch business because we think of pizza at supper time. So I'm not sure that I. Well, I agree that is a real, uh, it can be a real challenge that is operating in a singly focused day part, if there is such a thing. I, I don't think that that's an absolute deal breaker. To me, the bigger deal breaker in this category goes back to something we were talking about earlier. And that is the fact that there's such an extraordinary level of competition mm-hmm. and excellent competition terrific competition. I mean, the the Cheesecake Factory or La Madeleine or even McDonald's salad program, the QSR salad programs are really quite sophisticated Mm -hmm. and quite well done. And it seems to me that that becomes much more of of a challenge for a player like Sweetgreen that's trying to get into the market. Yeah. Wendy salads are spectacular as well. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very well done. I agree with you. Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a fascinating market. I never really thought this extensively about salads before in, in my life. So I want to shift gears a little. <laughs> okay. I actually want to talk a little bit. One of the other issues, I think, and I, one of the 
bigger challenge for challenges for them as a supply chain because they you know try to get as much you know high quality and locally sourced yes. ingredients as they can yes yes as they expand it's going to be a massive challenge it's probably costing them profitability which is which is going to be also a challenge going forward especially if you start getting into some of these markets where the competition where the salad demand might not be as high as they think and uh, um, things like that. I mean, is that, could you talk a little bit of that? I mean, is that, that doesn't seem to be very easy for them to do and it seems to be expensive. Um, yeah, I agree with you on all those points. It's not all that easy to do. It is more expensive. It certainly will impact your, your margins. I think I'm going to answer your question with sort of a question, and that is one that I kind of wrestle with in my own mind, and that is how high really is up in consumer demand for certain, I'm using quotes, air quotes here, better for you products, mm -hmm. uh, locally grown, uh, organic perhaps in certain instances, uh, GMO free, whatever it might be. I am somewhat skeptical. Now, I, I recognize that demographics are changing and that uh, millennials are aging, Gen Z is coming right up behind, and their tastes and their expectations um, may be different. But, you know, I have always believed when it comes to the food service operator, but that where there's real consumer demand, by hook and by crook, the operator rises to the occasion and meets that demand. And I look at the unhappy story of cage-free eggs in food service. You know, has it been five years or six years, whatever, um, when that was the, the number one demand and McDonald's and is working on it. I don't think they're going to be cage-free until something like 2025. Yeah, but, but now go into the grocery store and see where the demand is, what they're pulling out of the, the dairy and egg case. It's they're more likely, they have been more likely, according to research, they being the average American consumer, to buy regular eggs because of cost considerations. Mm -hmm. So I'm not sure, Jonathan, where the trade-off comes between our principled demand for local or sustainable or cage-free on the one hand, and the reality of having to pay more for it. So, so I think that food service operators to a great extent, with, with a couple of notable exceptions, and Chip Malay is always the exception that proves the rule, right? I mean, mm -hmm. they've been antibiotic free, they're, they're brilliant in what they do. And nobody else can quite do what they do. But by and large, I am convinced that if there were overwhelming consumer desire for some of these um, products, operators would find a way to deliver. I, I believe that. I just think their sense is that at this point, there hasn't been enough concerted effort made on the part of the consumer to get them to, to change their buying habits. Yeah. Remember Satisfies? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And they weren't, were they? They weren't very satisfying at all, Jonathan. <laughs> Come on, guy. <laughs> they, you know, that's always the one, that's the story I go to, right? At the end of the day, people want to enjoy their meal. Yeah. Yeah. And 
they don't really want to eat healthy. That's just when they go to a restaurant. They just don't. I mean, I guess my base level skepticism on on any health, any company, and it does not really just sweet green. It's any company that comes in and proclaims themselves to be, you know, at the intersection of consumer demand for more health. Uh-huh. Right. Yeah. There has been, and I mean, you've obviously seen this for a long time. There just every so often, like somebody comes up with something that supposedly is going to revolutionize the industry by taking advantage of consumers' desire for health. Gosh, remember carob chips? Remember those stupid things? Remember they're terrible, right? I mean, it was supposed to be healthy chocolate, but at the end of the day, they were terrible and people wanted to eat regular chocolate. People want, you know, frozen yogurt was supposed to be a a, a healthy alternative desserts. Where are frozen yogurt chains now? Not very prevalent. And by the way, they weren't very healthy. I, you know, Saddest Fries, which, you know, Burger King supposedly were supposed to revolutionize French fries. It lasted less than a year. Yeah. And at the end of the day, and we've had so many restaurant chains, Freshie, Salad, many of these restaurant chains that have come in uh, um, and and it said they are going to take advantage of a consumer that wants to eat healthier. And then the consumer buys 1200 calorie chicken sandwiches. And I guess the thing is the point to your point is I just don't know that there is this level of demand for healthy food on a big scale. You have to like, there could be, if you manage to convince consumers, if, if consumers think it's really good, which I guess goes to the Chipotle idea. Chipotle has straddled this line. I think an underrated reason for Chipotle's success is a fact that it has this perception of selling healthy food and it sells 1200 calorie bombs in the form of burritos and a huge percentage of their customers are young youngish men who yes. need the calories yes so i guess that you know the key to me for sweet green or any chain that wants to have this they they have to keep that health halo that they supposedly have while really giving consumers something they really want, which is actually something that's not that healthy. Bingo. I mean, I, I agree with you. I don't, I don't think that popularity and flavor and good for you are always in opposition, but I mm-hmm. think where a lot of operators fall short is they overestimate the importance of the healthfulness and underestimate the importance of, of flavor and taste. But I do think if we're talking about sweet green and the others in that category, um, that that there are some things that they can and perhaps should be doing a little bit more aggressively in terms of promoting their menu. For example, I would suspect, I don't know this, I can't back it up with data, but I would suspect that most operators when they're buying salad fixings are buying on a seasonal basis because costs will be more um, agreeable to them if they're buying in season rather than out of season. That may not always be the case. I know some produce is virtually around, but 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 by and large, um, seasonality is, it seems to me, a very leverageable sales point, and I very seldom see it being brought to bear. You know, consumers have this very a peculiar attitude about things that are perceived to be fresh. 
to the average consumer, fresh equals better for you equals healthful. There's no scientific or nutritional basis for, for some of their beliefs, but but that's a that's a big one. And so so the seasonality certainly local plays very well if you can do it and if you can afford to do it and if you can buy that way. Um, it's a it's a wonderful selling point. Um, but you are exactly right. The proof is in the eating. And so it really doesn't matter how virtuous your purchasing practices are if the ultimate item doesn't knock the consumer's taste buds for a loop, then it's it's kind of been wasted, I think. Right, right. That's, yeah, I, I think that if I were them, I, you know, I, you don't want to lose this health message, but you really need to hit hard on how good the food is and right. how it's going to taste really good when you go get there. It might be a salad. And again, I think sweet greens food is really good. I, yes. I don't have any issues with the taste of the food. Uh, you got to convince people. And as you grow, you have to convince a larger number of people, which always, of course, is is the challenge. And then, of course, with salads, there are other issues. I mean, the, competi- the competition is um, some I actually hadn't really thought of. I didn't really think about how many restaurant chains offer salads. But man, you're right. Everybody has a salad. Yeah. And, you know, some of them, I, just to go back, um, this is a, going back a long time, but I was doing some consumer focus groups not on the subject of salads, uh, it was in a totally different category, but I had these consumers in, in a room and all they wanted to talk about at that point was the, the McDonald's salad, which was new to the market. Oh, it had black beans and it had corn, but the big thing, the golden ticket for that item was they were serving the salad with a wedge of lime that it took the consumers a little getting used to that you could pick up a wedge of lime and squeeze it over the salad bowl and it hyped the taste. Well, it was just extraordinary to me the way that that sort of caught fire with with consumers' imaginations and their taste buds. So I interrupted you there. You were talking about the competitive set, but you know, it's not just that there's competition, but it's good competition that resonates with the, with the consumer. Right, right. Um, one thing to, to note, by the way, um, kind of, I, I guess, to, to bridge that issue of, well, people eat healthy and the competition for salads. Most restaurant salads are not healthy whatsoever. And they yeah, generally yeah. tend to be, <laughs> they generally, generally tend to be vehicles for sauce and cheese. And, um, you know, and then the amount of bacon, excuse me, you forgot the bacon. Yeah. Yeah. Bacon. Right. So I, you know, I, if, if I ever want to lose weight and eat at a restaurant, I actually will never touch a salad ever. Just never touch a salad because most of it is super caloric. You'd better off eating a burrito. (laughs) Oh, Jonathan, you're such a curmudgeon. Okay. I am a curmudgeon. I do not. Caloric. I do not agree that they always have to be hugely caloric. If you drown anything in sauce, it doesn't matter mm-hmm. what it is. Yes. It's going to hide. There are certainly healthful salads out there. It just depends mm-hmm. on how motivated you are to consume one. Yes. You just got to be careful. Yes. Okay. Careful. On how you word. order. Okay. Yeah. And how prepared. If you yeah. take okay. it the way they're going to give it to you, you're just going to yeah. get that thing soaked 
in sauce, <laughs> loaded with cheese no, no, and no. bacon. Jonathan, no, see, <laughs> you need to die. Okay, so you and I need to go out for lunch sometime. Yeah, sure. You know, because I hardly know a single woman diner in America who doesn't always order the dressing on the oh, yeah, that's side what my wife and does. nobody yeah nobody ever blinks when you do yeah. that in the in the restaurant so yeah. so you're you're being a you're being a little difficult about this I, think. I am a little. well yeah. that's me yeah, yeah, yeah. just okay. ask my wife she knows this she knows that <laughs> but you're fun to go out to dinner with <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah oh no they uh, yeah no it's um you know they usually are ready to hear some sort of lecture from me about something at a restaurant. So, um, so now I want to so memo to self. If Jonathan calls for dinner, the answer is, gosh, I'm busy tonight. That's right. <laughs> I'm sorry. You were going to say, so you are going to start, uh, by the way, I didn't actually mention welcome to RB. You're going to start uh, you. writing for us. In fact, as this gets published, you will probably be uh, our, your first, thing first uh piece for us should yes. start uh today as we uh as this thing is uh published real quick what can um what can readers expect to read uh when when they open up one of your columns well there'll be a couple of things because i'll be doing a couple of columns for mm -hmm. you one we are calling the state of the plate uh, you are calling it that and i think it's a very smart um sort of Title because that's what we'll be looking at in that piece. Um, we'll be looking at menu trends, where they're coming from, where they're going, and importantly, from my point of view, how they apply to the industry at large. Um, and then there will be a second piece that will be sort of a, what, a conversation, a debate, a point counterpoint. I apologize for all of those SNL viewers that yeah. immediately see Dan Aykroyd and, and Jane Curtin. I hope it will be a little uh, uh, less acrimonious, but, but yeah, that will be more of an issues oriented piece that will appear every month as well. Yes. You and Peter Romeo will be. That's right. Uh, you'll be Peter Romeo that. will be my partner in crime on right. that. We haven't yep. figured out a name for that one yet, but that's uh, going to be fantastic. And I'm really looking yeah. forward to reading it. I'm looking forward to that as well. Thank you. Right. Yeah, I'm very, very, very excited to be joining the group. Some of, It's the best business journalism in our business. So I'm very pleased to be to be on, on board. Awesome. Nancy, thank you very much for uh, joining me this week on the podcast. It's my pleasure, Jonathan. I look forward to doing it again at some point. Thanks. And that should do it for this week's episode of A Deeper Dive, which was edited, as always, by Kimmy Kazmarek. Artwork by Nico Hines. You may find this and other episodes of the podcast on our website at www.restaurantbusinessonline.com backslash article backslash deeper dash dive. You may also subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or anywhere else you get your podcasts. I'm Jonathan Mays, your host, podcast producer, and the editor-in-chief of Restaurant Business. Thank you for listening. Don't forget, Restaurant Leadership Conference goes to Arizona this December 6th through 9th. Claim your spot now at restaurantleadership.com. Space is filling up quickly.